Now today we wrap up our back-to-school series on Bible basics. And we've been to the library, and we've gone to science class, and now we're going to go to math class. Now I know that last week when I asked what your favorite class in school was, not many of you picked math. But, but don't worry. I'm not going to dazzle you with mathematical brilliance. Uh, even though I was a math major, the Bible classes were my favorite, but I was a math major. But you don't have to worry, because any one of you on your phone today can do in seconds what I tried so hard to learn back then, uh, last week. And there's a teacher holding up a phone, and the teacher says, says tap the calculator app icon and enter the equation you want to solve. Congratulations, you've passed math class. <laughs> well, I can't say that Bible math is, is quite that simple, but it isn't as difficult as people make it out to be. The numbers in the Bible aren't meant to confuse us. They're, they're to make it easier for us to see God at work. And the exception proves the rule. And the exception that I'm talking about is the number 666. The sign of the beast, 666 is a math puzzle. It is a code. And we know that because the Bible tells us that. It comes from Revelation chapter 13, verse 18. It says, This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, that number is 666. So we're told to calculate the man's name. So how do you calculate a name? Well, remember Roman numerals? That's another thing. I don't even know if they teach that in math class anymore. Roman numerals are written with letters instead of the numbers that we use. And so different letters stand for different amounts. The only time we really see Roman numerals uh, these days is with the Super Bowl. I don't know why, but do you notice that the Super Bowl is always in Roman numerals? And so you can't figure it out unless you know how to translate that. So this year, it's Super Bowl LVI, which is Super Bowl 56. L for 50, V for 5, and I for 1. 50 plus 5 plus 1, 56. That's how it works. Now, I don't know why they do that with, with the Super Bowl, but they also do that in Greek and Hebrew, those two languages that the Bible was written in. They, too, use letters to stand for numbers. And so you can add them together and come up with a number. Anybody's name you could take and figure out what number that is. In this case, the number is 666. <clears throat> but see, as, although that's very simple, it's very hard to go the other way. Because if you get a number, there could be all sorts of names that would add up to that number. There's probably a thousand different combinations of letters that could yield 666. And you have to know what language you're counting in, too, because it, it varies depending on, on what language and, and what those different letters stand for. So it's all 
it's all very confusing. Like I said, this is the exception. One popular theory is that 666 refers to the Caesar Nero, that Roman emperor who was famous for persecuting Christians. And, and those of you who raised your hand for history class maybe can recall a little bit about the emperor Nero. Uh, he was the one who was said to have fiddled while Rome burned, and he blamed the fire on the Christians. He was famous for persecuting Christians. One of the things that he liked to do was to, to cover pit Christians in tar, stick them on poles, and use them as streetlights by setting them on fire. Nasty guy, Emperor Nero. And if you add up those, uh, those letters in his name, you come up to 666. So was John, who got the revelation that we call revelation, who received that from God while he was exiled by the, by the Roman government to the island of Patmos? Was he warning us that a man like Nero would come? I mean, it'd be certainly uh, a fitting mark of a, the sign of a beastly person. And not only that, at the time that, that Nero died, there was a widespread belief that he would come back, that he would return. And so is John kind of reminding us of that, and that, that, these, that an evil person like that will come and persecute Christians again? Maybe so. It's kind of hard to figure out. But the message is not hard to figure out. You don't have to know specifically who the 6-6 person is. It might not even be in our lifetime. But you can get the message that John is trying to convey. And the message is this. When the going gets tough, when things are difficult, when you're being persecuted for your faith, don't sell out. Live under God's sign, not under the sign of some man. Not under the sign of the 666. When it's tough to be a Christian, when people like Nero or any other beastly, demonic person makes it hard to be a Christian, don't give up your faith. Hold on, and you'll be victorious in Christ. 666 is, the, is someone's name. It is a math problem, but it's the exception in the Bible. Most numbers in the Bible are straight-up numbers. So Bible basic number six is this. That sometimes in the Bible, a number is just a number. Do you remember uh, when Jesus encounters the disciples after the, the resurrection in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 21? And they have caught nothing until Jesus shows up, and then they catch so many that they can't even lift the net of fish into the boat. And it says in verse 11, <coughs> So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now readers have pondered for ages of the special meaning of 153. Because they think it odd that the disciples would count all that many fish 
and remember it. But it's not odd if you're a fisherman. If you're a fisherman and had the best day fishing of your entire life, of your entire career, because many of them were professional fishermen, you count those fish and you remember. It was 153 of them. So not every number in the Bible has to have a special meaning. Sometimes the number is just a number. So go back to Bible basic number five from last week. Read the Bible for what it's trying to tell us. If it tells us to calculate a number like 666, then do that. But if it says they caught 153 fish, then believe it. Don't turn it into a puzzle. Don't waste your mind on that. The point is that without Jesus, their nets were empty. With Jesus, their nets were full. There's 153 fish in there. You don't have to turn it into a puzzle. Remember, John said in just a few verses before this, in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Bible is written so that we can know God. It's written to communicate, not to confuse us. So don't make it so hard. It is not algebra or trigonometry or calculus. You don't have to make it so hard. And yet we, we seem to have a knack for doing this. I saw one book that turned the Bible into a giant word search puzzle. You ever, you ever done those? You find the words... You know, they can be going this way or they could be up or down, they could be diagonal, and, and you search. Well, they, they took verses of the Bible and they stacked it into, into various word searches to find the Bible's hidden meaning. And, you know, find things like buy apple stock. And, you know, if only we had known that God's whole purpose in writing the Bible was to help us to choose stock in 2021. No, the Bible tells us its purpose. Its purpose is to help us know Jesus and have life in him. But you might ask, uh, yeah, but what about all those numbers that keep showing up over and over again in the Bible? Certainly there must be, be some meaning behind that. You know, numbers like 40 or 12 or 7? Well, yeah, they are. There is, there is a purpose. Their repeated use helps us to catch on to what God is up to. But this math is to make things more clear, not to make things more confusing. It's not a difficult puzzle. It's something that, that anybody can understand. Like the number 40. When the 40 shows up in the when 40 shows up in the Bible like it does 146 times, <laughs> be looking for God's purpose in some long period of time. Often it's a period of testing or of trial. For example, how long did it rain in Noah's flood? Forty days and forty nights. And you've probably been cooped up with, with some young kids on a rainy weekend, and you know how long that can seem. Imagine being cooped up in that, in that ark for forty days and forty nights as the storm tosses the boat that's a long time to be stuck in the rain. But through it, God saved them and gave them a fresh start. 
And if you're really into numbers, you can look back at how long they actually were on the ark. That's just how long it rained. But that's another day. Moses is another one. He spent 40 days on the mountain with, with God, getting the Ten Commandments, getting the, what he was to bring to the people. But for the people, 40 days was a long time. They grew impatient, and they built an idol of a calf out of gold, a golden calf, and they started worshiping it rather than God. They failed their 40-day test. They also failed the test that, that caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In Numbers uh, chapter 14, it says, God says to them, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. 40 years is a long time to wander in the wilderness. But in the end, God led them to the promised land. Even Jesus was tested by the devil in the wilderness for how long? 40 days, right. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. 40 days must have seemed like an eternity but in the end, Jesus prevailed. All of these 40s are, are reminders. Hey, when, when it seems like it will never end, your time of testing and trial, hang in there. Hang in there. God has a plan. God will see you through. How many times have you felt like the troubles you were going through would never end? That they were just endless? that they were 40 days or they were 40 years. We're reminded through all these stories of, stories of 40 to hang in there. Hang in there. God has a purpose. God will see you through. Well, another number we see a lot of in the, in the Bible is 12. And it's often a sign of God's people, and it's a sign of God's people because there were 12 tribes in Israel. Started from the 12 sons of Isaac, who also had the name Israel. And when Jesus wants to start his new way of being God's people, his church, how many does he start with? Twelve. Right. Matthew 10. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then finally, when we go to the end again to Revelation... And John shares a vision of God's people gathered around the throne. How many are there? Not just 12 or even 12,000, but 12 times 12,000. And uh, if you do the math, that's 144,000. That's where that, that comes from. There are 12,000 from, from each of 12 tribes. It's in Revelation 7-4 if you want to look it up. But even then, even, even 144,000, 12 times 12,000 is not enough because in verse 9 of that chapter, it says, After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
12s remind us that, that God's people is beyond counting. That those who, who will be saved by the Lord is a number that no one could ever count. 12 reminds us of God's people, but it isn't sufficient to contain the number that the Lord will save because that's beyond our counting. Well, let's go on to seven next. It shows up something like 800 times in the Bible, and most of the time it means that there are seven things. Okay? It's the, uh, the, Bible, the, the numbers in the Bible aren't always a secret code. Sometimes seven is just a seven. But seven also can show up in ways that, that remind us of completion or perfection or, or holiness. For example, how long is a complete week? Seven days, right. And what did God do on the seventh day? God rested and made it holy and gave us the Sabbath. Exodus 20. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One insight that, that knowing this connection of seven with, with perfection, with completeness, is the famous story of where Peter asks how many times he has to forgive somebody. And, and Peter says, Jesus, uh, do, I, do I have to forgive somebody up to seven times? Here, let's just uh, let's read it from, uh, from Matthew. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Up to completely? Jesus, do I have to go that far? Do I have to go, do I have to go up to complete forgiveness? And Jesus says, no, no. You just have to go infinitely beyond it. The next verse says, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. It also can be translated seven times 70 times. And if you do your math, it's 490. And Jesus isn't telling him, no, it's not seven, it's 490 times that you have to. And if they do it 491 times, then no forgiveness. No, Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is, is saying more like the infamous phrase of Buzz Lightyear. How, how much do I have to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Do I have to do it completely? And Jesus says, you have to do it completely times completely times 10. You have to do it to infinity and beyond. That's how you forgive in my kingdom. And that's how God forgives me and you. Completely. More than we could even comprehend. Completely times completely times 10. Well, time is, is quickly passing, so we're going we're gonna to wrap up our math class with just two more, two more numbers. We're going to do three, and we're going to do one. So three is also um, often connected with completeness. Um, and it's also connected with God. You know, for Christians, we're, we're always reminded of the Trinity, of the one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see hints of this in places like Isaiah 6, 3, and, and Revelation 4, where, 
where there's that threefold shout of worship, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Especially for us Christians, the number three is important because it's on the third day that Christ was raised. Luke 24, 7 says, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. On the third day. If you're ever trying to count that, that third day and you're going, wait a second, if he was crucified and he died there in the afternoon uh, on Friday and, and by Sunday morning, that, well, that's 48 hours or less. Um, no, it's on the third day. There's Friday, day one, Saturday, day two, and Sunday, day three, and we won't even get into how the Jewish calendar counts days. Just know that, that when there's something about three, it's often connected with God, and especially for us Christians. It's on the third day that, that Christ rose, but even, uh, even for others, the people met God on Mount Sinai on the third day as well. That's in Exodus 19. Three and God often go together. But the number one number associated with God is the number one. In the ancient world where people thought there were all kinds of gods, some that they could even make with their own hands like a golden calf. And in the modern world we're tempted, where we're tempted to turn just about anything into a god and replace the Lord. The number one reminds us that there is only one God, one and only God. Remember when Jesus asked what the most important commandment is? What's the first commandment, the most important commandment of all the commandments? And what did he say? Nobody's, nobody's being brave, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that is not what he said. That's part of what he said. This is how he actually answered that question. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's people, listen. There is one God, the Lord. There is just one God worthy of all of our love, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. That is the most important commandment, says Jesus. So Bible basic number six is, is that sometimes in the Bible a number is just a number. Don't turn the Bible into a secret math puzzle, some giant word search to find out how to make your investments. Bible basic number seven is that even when they aren't math puzzles, numbers can carry meaning. Like 40 reminds us of times of trial where, where God proves faithful. 12 reminds us of God's people. 
and the invitation that we have to be a part of them. Seven speaks of, of completeness. And since we're at uh, Bible uh, basic number seven, that means we must have completed our math class for today. <laughs> so here's the final exam. And you won't need your calculator app. The Bible's whole purpose is to know God and have life in Jesus' name. If you know the one God and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, congratulations. You've passed Bible math class. Let us pray. Oh, God who is as infinite as the numbers. God who is as hard to figure out as calculus, but as easy to understand as the number one. We turn to you today. We thank you for the gift of the Bible, for the ways that it encourages us, encourages us teaches us, trains us, and righteousness for the ways that it shares the gospel so that we might know Christ and have life in him. Lord, uh, we pray that you give us the ability to use our minds, whether that be studying the Bible or studying anything else in your creation. But we also pray with thanks that we don't have to have everything figured out because you've made it very plain the most important thing that in you there is life abundant life life that lasts forever that you've invited us to join the great throng whose number cannot be counted from every tribe and race of people of all kinds who will gather around the throne in joy and wonder. God, we, we now continue in our worship and enable us to worship you with all our heart, soul, mind, and